Welcome to the Come Follow Me podcast, presented by BYU Speeches, featuring BYU devotionals and forums specially curated to accompany your weekly Come Follow Me studies. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches wherever you get your podcasts or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts. This fireside address, entitled Things We Should Do, was given on December 5th of 1976 by an Eldon Tanner then a member of the First Presidency of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. As I was getting up to address you, Sister Tanner says you have a big audience. Be sure you speak loudly enough. <laughs> it reminded me of President McKay when he's standing before an audience. <clears throat> Someone at the back said, speak up, we can't hear you. Someone near the stand said, well, sit down and be glad you can't. So you take your choice. <clears throat> As I saw my family stand here, I remember, realized I had my own cheering section. I'll signal to them when I want them to cheer. <laughs> it's near enough Christmas time that we should all think of this Christmas season and realize the great sacrifice that was made on our behalf. It isn't my intention to speak about Christmas, but it reminds me of a, when our youngest daughter went to school. She came home the, just before Christmas and said to her mother, do you know what they tell me at school? She said, no. She said, well, those kids say there's no Santa Claus. She says, well, what they say about the presents? She said, well, their father and mother gives them to them. She said, well, what did you say? She said, well, you don't know my dad and mother. <laughs> now, I was thinking of the little girl. <clears throat> her mother was telling her about Christmas and how Joseph and Mary had to go to the, pay their taxes and the conditions at that time how the baby was born in the manger in the stable. She said, why didn't they stay with their grandmother? <laughs> it gave me something to think about. I was just wondering why we hadn't heard any more about the grandmother of Jesus. Well, this evening, my beloved young brethren and sisters, it is the most inspiring sight to look into your faces. The, this vast audience, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, who understand and know that they are spirit children of God and whose greatest desire and determination is to prepare themselves to go back into his presence. This is a tremendous goal and to think that you have most of your lives to prepare for it. Don't waste it. As I stand before you this evening, I humbly pray that the spirit and blessings of the Lord will attend us, each and every one of us, that we may communicate with one another and be benefited thereby. As I was looking through my notes, copies of talks that I've given here, I was reminded of the fact that I talked on one of your devotional services ten years ago. It was most interesting to me to review the conditions then and compare them with the conditions now as they pertain to the growth of the Church and the Brigham Young University. In that talk, I, as a counselor of President David O. McKay, 
who was then president of the church, referred to the message which he had asked me to take to the people wherever I went, it was remind those people to remember who they are and then to act accordingly and to take an individual responsibility. Now, this was a great message. Since then, we have had three other presidents of the church, each one with his own distinctive message. President Joseph Fielding Smith, message was, was we are living in the Saturday, of e Saturday evening of time, and it's our responsibility to prepare ourselves and to help prepare the world for the second coming of Christ. Next was President Harold B. Lee. He said his greatest message to the Church and to the world was keep the commandments, just three simple words. Now President Spencer W. Kimball practices and preaches. We should lengthen our stride and do all we can to take the gospel message to all the world, every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. <clears throat> Pardon me. If the members of the Church would accept and put into practice these four messages, they as individuals would be greatly blessed, and the growth and progress of the Church would be phenomenal, and its influence on the world would be tremendous. Much growth and progress has taken place in the Church during these past ten years. The Church membership has grown from two and a half million to over three and a half million. We had 13,000 full-time missionaries then, Today we have 25,000. To envision this, just imagine this great audience, auditorium filled with ca to capacity, and you'll realize how many missionaries are laboring to bring the, the blessings of the gospel to the world. This many full-time missionaries throughout the world. Many of these are local full-time missionaries working in their own homelands. Where we had practically none 10 years ago in any area, we now have in the South American East area 400 local full-time missionaries. In Hawaiian Pacific Islands area, there are 385. In the Mexico Central America area, there are 350, as well as a large, as large numbers in other areas. We had nearly 69,000 convert baptisms in 1966, and to the end of August, we had over 100,000. In 1966, we had 39 general authorities, 11 of whom have passed on. Today we have 58 general authorities. The growth of the Church is such that we have found it necessary to divide the world outside of Canada and the United States into 11 areas, each of which is supervised by a member of the first quorum of the 70. Others will be established. Then we had 69 regional representatives of the 12, and today we have 115. In another, and <clears throat> in another recent development, the Lord has directed that the first quorum of the 70 should be organized and comprised of those who were assistants to the 12, the first council of 70, and new members, as they are called and ordained and set apart as members of the first quorum of the 70. There are now 39 members in the quorum of the, 12, of the, quorum of the 70, of whom seven are presidents. During this period, the Area Conference Program was introduced, and as of this date, we have held 10 series of Area Conferences in 28 different countries, with attendance ranging from 1,600 to 16,000 in each session, with a total of nearly 200,000 attending from 34 countries throughout the world. We've also been holding solemn assemblies in the United States and Canada, 
for, this pur for the purpose of edifying, strengthening, and encouraging the priesthood leadership of the Church in their duties and their responsibilities. The three members of the First Presidency and two other general authorities attend and speak at these solemn assemblies. To date, we have held 30 meetings in 25 cities in the United States and Canada with a total attendance of just over 30,000. The leaders of the stakes and missions within a radius of two to three hundred miles of each meeting, are play, each meeting place are invited to attend. It is certainly encouraging, the most inspiring for us to meet to the leader, these groups of dedicated stake and mission leaders. We have had as many as 2,200 in attendance at one meeting. Just last month, we had a solemn assembly in Tallahassee Friday evening and in New York City on Saturday afternoon. Now regarding the university. In 1966, Ernest L. Wilkinson was president of the Brigham Young University and was responsible for much of the growth and of maintaining the highest standards of the school. Today, President Alan Oakes is leading this university to even higher, greater heights and is continuing to make its influence felt in the academic world where it is held in high regard. During this 10-year period, the faculty and the students have contributed much in the business, industry, and community life, and many are holding responsible positions in industry, business, professional, and in community and government affairs. As I was thinking about these things, I realized that even an old man like me experienced some changes in 10 years. <clears throat> During that time, 12 of our grandchildren have married and have given us 12 great-grandchildren. I wish to emphasize that in 10 years, you will be 10 years older. <laughs> Sometimes we ought to stop and think about it. And uh, <clears throat> many changes will occur in your lives. Many of you will be parents. Many of you will be holding leading positions in your communities, and in the church, and in governments. Just about a year ago, I spoke to 12 stake fireside here in this same building and talked about some things to ponder. Tonight, I hope it will be possible for me to discuss with you things we should do if we want to be more successful and happy in our as we go through life, trying to be of service and preparing ourselves for eternal life. Many students have asked themselves, and some have asked general authorities and others, how can a person live the teachings of the standards of the gospel and maintain its standards and yet be totally successful while living in this cold, materialistic, competitive world? Also, many missionaries, as they have finished their missions, have asked me what vocation they should follow. I have given both groups the same answer. It matters little what vocation you choose, but choose one in which you think you will be happy. Then set about to be the best you can in your chosen vocation. But wherever you are, whatever you do, remember that the Lord has said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And also, remember the admonition of Paul, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. I should like to say that I have never been embarrassed or felt deprived in any way in government or industry by living the standards of the Church. As I was introduced 
you were told the positions I have held. And I think I've had a great opportunity to prove this very same thing that I am telling you. Most of my life since going into the government has been with non-members of the church, and I have never been embarrassed in any way. As a result of my own experience, I can promise you that if you follow these exhortations, you will enjoy the respect of all and meet with success and happiness. One who believes and seeks first the kingdom of God and his righteousness will live righteously. He will keep the commandments of God and be honest, honorable, and upright in his dealings, and will occupy himself in the service of men and try to give the best service that is possible for him to give. If he is a doctor, he will do all he can in the interest of his, the health of the individual whom he serves. If he is a lawyer, he will do all he can in the interest of his client, never thinking how much money he can make or how it will inconvenience him or how much effort he must put into his service. One who chooses to be a successful nurse, secretary, school teacher, or salesperson will lose himself in that service and think first of the welfare of the individual whom he or she is serving. If one will do this, he cannot help but succeed. His satisfied customers or his employers will praise his name and people will make a trail to his door. Many of the present leaders in business, industry, professions, universities, and research will be retired in a few years, and those jobs will be available to you who have graduated from the school and prepared yourselves for the, to fill these positions. Whether a person is able to be successful in his vocation depends on what he is doing now to prepare himself. Tremendous progress has been made in all fields of endeavor and in education itself during the past 20 years. In fact, opportunities are there that were never there before, and great progress will continue to be made. How many of us realized 10 years ago that within three years we'd have a man on the moon? Now we have directed explorations on Mars and are moving into other areas of space. In order to progress in any field of endeavor and keep up with the progress of the world, it's essential that we be prepared to put our best efforts into learning, and it is now time, not time for loitering. There's no use in waiting for the future in the hope that everything will turn out all right. We must determine as early as we, in life as possible what is available, what we'd like to do, and then be prepared to pay the price in study, work, and devotion. Remember, heights by great men reached and kept were not attained by sudden flight, but they, while their companions slept, were toiling upward in the night. Never become discouraged if you have to work hard to reach your goal. Men who have become great in any occupation have a passion for work. Anyone who wants anything badly enough will work to get it, and one really deludes himself if he thinks he can gain success without doing what he can to deserve it. Top positions are not held by lazy people. In fact, the future belongs to those who plan where they are going, who prepare themselves for the <clears throat> journey, perform their tasks skillfully, and seize their opportunities and persist in spite of setbacks. There is very little difference in effort needed to make you what you could be or could have been and what you are. 
and your effort determines the extent of your success. We should not become so completely engrossed in the work that we neglect our families. Let them know that we love them and be where we should be when they need us. And also remember that all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Take time for diversion and recreation, but don't forget your goal. We are fortunate to live in a land where we can do these things. I cannot emphasize too strongly how much we would appreciate, should appreciate what a great blessing it is to live in a land of freedom where the standards of living are higher, the opportunities are greater, and where we can freely choose our lives and what we'll be. In many, many countries in the world, neither youth nor adults are free to make their choices. And I wonder, yes, I seriously wonder, if we really begin to appreciate the great privilege and blessing it is to live in a free country. <clears throat> May we always remember that many men have given their lives to make this possible for us to enjoy freedom. It is our responsibility to do all in our power to preserve it and to make it available to those who succeed us. The importance of freedom is emphasized by the fact that God's greatest gift to man is free agency, which affords us the opportunity to choose between good and evil, virtue and vice, life and death. The prime purpose of our mortal existence is to prove ourselves through the exercise of this great gift. Winston Churchill, one of the greatest leaders of this generation, once said, I have seen many things happen, but the fact remains that the human life is presented to us as a simple choice between right and wrong. It is most important that we choose at an early age just what we want out of life, what we want to accomplish, what we want to be, the kind of community in which we wish to live, the kind of parents we want to be, the kind of families we want to have, and whether or not we choose to serve God and keep His commandments. It is our responsibility to make our own choice. The power of choice is yours. The roads are clearly marked one offering an animal existence and the other life abundance. abundant. Successful people in life have one thing in common. They decide what it is that they want and stand with it until they get it. It's just about as simple as that. Another important fact <clears throat> for us to remember is that we are fortunate to belong to a church where this principle of free agency is understood and taught and to attend this university where the teachers know this and realize that you are children of God and that the soul of man is great in the sight of the Lord and where you are encouraged to make your proper choices and to live an honest, honorable, and righteous life. Though we know we have the gospel in its fullness and that we belong to the Church of Jesus Christ and that this is the greatest university in the world because of its it is directed under the influence of the gospel. We must never adopt a holier-than-thou attitude or give the impression that we are perfect, that we are better than any others, that we, that we need not repent, or that we have arrived, or that we are saved. Every one of us needs to repent of things that we have failed to do or things which we should have done and things which we, should have, which we have done that are wrong. and concentrate on trying to improve ourselves and live more closely and completely the teachings of the gospel. Where members of the Church adopt a smug or self-satisfied or superior attitude, we deserve the criticism we receive 
and often turn away prospective converts. Let us be what the Lord expects us to be and live as he expects us to live, remember that he, remembering that he has said the first great commandment is to love him with all our hearts, minds, and souls, and the second is to love our neighbors as ourselves. As we do this, we will not be inclined to criticize or gossip or carry false tales about our friends and associates, classmates, or neighbors, but we'll look for the good in them and hand out bouquets instead of brickbats. We want to be tolerant and not find fault because others do not see or live as we think they should. When we feel like criticizing and finding fault with others, we should, we'd do well to stand before a mirror and look that image straight in the eye and tell him or her where and how he or she can improve. We have a full-time job trying to improve and prepare ourselves for a full and successful life. Christ gave us a parable which reads in Luke, and he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they, might, that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus within himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I possess, and the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes under heaven, but smote his breast, saying, God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. These are some of the lessons that you should be learning here among your academic studies. You are learning how to build a whole man, mental, physical, and spiritual. Most schools and universities do not concern themselves about the spiritual side of life, and therefore their, stu their, <coughs> their students fail to obtain the most essential knowledge of all, how to prepare for eternal life. While speaking, Last April, to the graduating class of this university, Dr. John A. Howard, president of the Rockford College in Rockford, Illinois, referred to the problems and sacrifices made by our early pioneers who crossed the plains to the great Salt Lake Valley. I repeated this in the general priesthood meeting last October. Here's what he said. The work that faces your generation is no less arduous. The deserts you must bring to blossom are no less arid, but your mission may be demand even more of you. For unlike the early pioneers of this state, you are confronted by a wilderness which is subtle, fluid, and elusive. Indeed, the wilderness which you must conquer is disguised as a civilization, so that there is a, a double necessity to unmask the deceit to distinguish between what is authentic and what is counterfeit, and to labor to support the one and oppose the other. The moral depravity which appears on television is rivaled by the moral tone of campuses, where cohabitation is commonplace and where the use of illegal drugs doesn't even raise an eyebrow anymore. The swelling tide of crime is matched by the deluge of dishonesty. I think that, that is 
or is adequate and accurate. The tide of crime is matched by the deluge of dishonesty on the part of the politicians who promise that they know what they know they cannot deliver and who try to deceive the people into believing that projects can always be paid for out of somebody else's pocket. It may be difficult for your generation to conceive what this society was a scant ten years ago. Gutter language was almost unknown on public platform and in plays and movies. Coeducational dormitories were unthinkable anywhere in this country. Salacious literature was not publicly available on the newsstands nor in bookstores. He then gave this challenge. I believe there is no single large group of our generation in the United States as consistently trained in the religious obligations, as ready to work long hours and make sacrifices for its principles, and as well versed in the dignity of self-reliance as you are. If that estimate is correct, you are greatly blessed and highly privileged." Unquote. This is a great compliment to the Brigham Young University and to those who attend it. Remember, this is given by a non-member of the Church who is president of another university and who is acquainted with the conditions in the world today and is qualified to speak on the subject. He's clearly pointed out what our responsibilities are here at BYU. These responsibilities are great. And I do hope that everyone here is prepared to accept the challenge and do his part through study and by good, clean living, make this the better world in which to live. If you're going to do this, you must be united in your stand against the evils of the day, about which all of you are aware. One of the most important things you can do is to live the word of wisdom strictly. We are all convinced of the many problems arising from the use of alcohol, tobacco, and drugs. How fortunate we are to have this health code as part of the gospel, keeping your bodies and minds free from the deleterious effects of these forbidden things will aid you greatly in your climb to success, to say nothing of the spiritual effect it will have on you in your goal for eternal life. The breaking of the word of wisdom weakens one and often leads to our serious transgressions, other serious transgressions, pardon me. I'd like to tell you of a man that I knew well when I was in the government. He was head of one of the largest drilling <coughs> companies in Canada. And he began social drinking and continued until his friends were telling him he was an alcoholic, trying and encouraging him to leave it alone. And I was talking to him one day, I knew him well, after he had got control of himself. He said, I wouldn't believe that I was an alcoholic until I found myself in the gutter. And then I went to Alcoholic Anonymous. I said, would you come and talk to my MN Gleaner group? He said, I'd be glad to. I'd be glad to tell anybody if I can help them. And as he talked to them, he told them how he became an alcoholic. And then he said, no man, no, man, no matter how wealthy, to do he is, can afford to take the first drink of alcohol. He was fortunate in that Alcoholic Anonymous <coughs> heard me, made it possible for him to clear himself. I want to read something here that I read in the paper the other day. I think you all know Gilford, Gifford Nielsen and are aware that he is making news in papers across the country. I was interested in reading this story about him, which appeared in the New York paper. 
It gave a description of him, told of his record in football, quoted some things that he had said, and then concluded with this comment. Another advantage Nielsen feels he has is his religion. A Mormon in the strictest sense, strictest sense, Nielsen doesn't smoke or swear or drink alcoholic beverages, coffee or tea. We call it the word of wisdom, he said. When you play at Brigham Young University, whether you're a Mormon or a non-Mormon, you have to sign your name to a list of guidelines to live. I thoroughly stand by this, because otherwise you're hurting your body. And there's no place for that in the athletics." Unquote. Now that's a courageous stand that every one of us should take. It's been published in papers all over the country. He has brought credit to himself and to his university. Second, let me remind you to keep yourselves morally clean. Ancient and modern prophets and our present president, Spencer W. Kimball, have reminded us over and over again of the importance of virtue and chastity. You know all of the reasons why you should refrain from any immoral or impure practices. Keep yourselves worthy, young men, to hold a priesthood and go on missions, and all of you to enjoy the blessings of the temple, a temple marriage for time and all eternity, with your children sealed to you as an eternal family unit. Why jeopardize these blessings? Prepare to be worthy parents so that you can raise your children who will be able to follow your good example. Make up your minds while you are here what you will do and what you will not do. I'd like to give you an experience I had some years ago when I was president of the branch in Edmonton. A couple called me early one Sunday morning and said, President Tanner, we must see you. The boy had wanted to go on a mission, and they had planned to be married in the temple on his return. Been, they had been planning and thinking about it for some time. They came with tears in their eyes and sorrow in their hearts and told me of the experience they had had Saturday night. The girl said, I received a letter from my father just last week. He said he was worried about me, reminded me who I am, and told me to guard my virtue but we didn't think this temptation would overcome us. Then she added, see what I have done to myself, my parents, my family. The young man said, and I am responsible and not worthy now to go on a mission. This is an example that should help us to understand and appreciate how important it is that we do these things. <clears throat> Next, be honest in all you do. Be dependable in every way. Keep your name unsullied so that your posterity can point to you with pride for the heritage that you have left them. Worldly riches are not nearly as so important as the value of a good name. I remember so well when I wanted to go to the university or the normal school to prepare myself to be a school teacher. We were poor people. Father said, I just can't spare you. We need you here on the farm. But if you can, and I can't possibly pay for your schooling. If you can borrow the money, you may go. We'll try to get along. I went down to the bank, met the manager of the bank, and told him why I'd come. I wanted to borrow the money to go to, to normal school. He said, oh, you're so-and-so Tanner's boy. And I said, no, I'm not. I'm M.W. Tanner's boy. 
M.W. Tanner's boy. Yes, sir. How much money would you need? And I told him. He said, when can you start paying it back? I said, as soon as I start teaching and receive my wages. He said, you're N.W. Tanner's boy. I mentioned it three times. You may have the money and pay it back, as you said you would. And I thought then what a tremendous thing it was for me to be the son of a man whose name was such that the bank manager would let me have the money with no security other than that name. I suppose he knew Dad would pay it back if I didn't, though he didn't sign the note with me. I, was, I made up my mind at that point that I would so live that if my family needed my assistance, my name would not be a deterrent to them in any way that I hoped would be helpful. Do not be a hypocrite whom Christ chastised so severely. Live what you profess and preach and lead others to believe you are. Be a good friend and a good neighbor. Be tolerant and kind and give the best service you can to your fellow men. In short, keep the commandments. We have been talking about the progress that has been made in the last 10 years and how we can succeed in life. As it is near to the end of the year, it is a good time to take stock of it and ask ourselves a few questions. Think back for just 10 years ago and see where you were, how old you were, and what you had in mind and the progress you have made. Then take this year alone. It would be well to ask yourself these questions. Have I accomplished all that I intended to do in 1976? If not, what progress have I made? What have I done that has hindered me? Am I happy with the progress I have made? Is the Lord happy with the way I live and the things I have done and am doing? Where do I want to be 10 years from now? Or a year from now? Have I set my goals firmly? Am I determined to reach them? Is what I am doing now preparing me for those goals? Am I, intending, am I determined to repent where necessary? The Lord has said, Behold, he who has repented of his sins, the same is forgiven, and I, the Lord, remember them no more. By this ye may know if a man repenteth of his sins. Behold, he will confess them and forsake them and do them no more, I added. In conclusion, let me remind you that your life lies before you. What you are do going to do with it is up to you. What am I going to do with it? And before sitting down, I should like to bear my testimony to you, referring back to these two statements. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And be not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, and he will be happier as he does it. <clears throat> I know, as I know I stand before you, young people, tonight, that God is a living God, that Jesus Christ is his Son in the flesh. We had a premortal existence, and Christ came and gave his life for you and me, that we might enjoy immortality and, by living the gospel, enjoy eternal life. That the gospel has been restored in these the latter days by God himself and the Father, and Jesus Christ appearing to that boy Joseph Smith, where the gospel has been restored in his church reestablished here upon the earth. And that Jesus Christ directs the affairs of this church today. It's been a great privilege for me to be so closely associated with four presidents of the church and to counsel with them and sit at their feet and see and know 
that the Lord directs his work through them. And that we have this prophet Joseph or Spencer W. Kimball with us today. Follow him and you cannot go astray. Remember who you are and act accordingly always. I humbly pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to the Come Follow Me podcast, presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts of recent speeches, classic speeches, and BYU Speeches compilations on love and marriage, overcoming adversity, by study and by faith, the prophet Joseph Smith, and Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. Go to speeches.byu.edu and click on podcasts for more information. You can also find all BYU Speeches podcasts at your preferred podcast provider.